Father God, thank you for bringing everybody into this room today. Classes on lament tend to bring people for different reasons. You know all the circumstances that have called us together today. I just ask that you be with us, open our hearts, minds, and ears for what you would have to say to us. And I just ask that you for your presence in the lives of those in our congregation who are lamenting outside this room today. Be with them and give them comfort. In your precious and holy name I pray. Amen. All right, well, thanks for coming. Um, lament is a sticky subject, and it tends to be a bit of a downer of a class. So for that, I apologize in advance. Uh, but I'm really glad that you're here because lament is something that we don't talk about very often in most church circles that I've been a part of, um, and definitely not in family ministry. So I'm excited to share what I've learned in my own journeys of lament with you all. Um, and this is my first time teaching at the Advent, so I'm also excited just to be here in general. So thank you for being with me this morning. Um, the first thing that we need to do when we start talking about lament is give it a definition because it can mean lots of different things. So theologians through all of Christian history have tried to define it. And there are volumes and stacks of books that would fill probably all the shelves on this room um, searching for the perfect definition. But the one that I always keep coming back to whenever I'm looking into or welcome, come on in. Oh, you're fine. Um, whenever I'm looking into a basic definition of lament, I just turn to the dictionary, which is not very theology of me, but it serves the purpose to define the term. So basically, dictionary.com says that lament is a feeling or expression of sorrow or regret or something to mourn for or over. And I drill that even farther down to basically lamenting is the process that we give over things that get us down in life. Um, and if I have to guess in a room this size, we all have something that we've lamented over in the last week. So something in the last seven days has gotten us individually down and our kids are going through the same thing as well. In 2018, growing up as a kid, there's just so much to get down over. So whether it's peer pressure, social media, and this applies to kids of all ages. I have a first grader and a fourth grader. And my first grader this home this week came home and told us that she had a relational difficulty and she was just in tears. So even at first grade, my first grader is having finding something in school to lament over. So this applies to kids of all ages. We're all grieving something. Um, and the rest of my family is no exception. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Krista. Uh, this is my third month here at the Advent. I'm the Director of Communications, which is something to be excited about and not to necessarily lament over. <laughs> but uh, I'm very thrilled to be here. Um, we moved here in July, but I've had plenty of other seasons of lament in my life. I'm a cancer survivor. I was di diagnosed in my early 20s. Um, speaking of my first grader who I mentioned earlier, six weeks after she was born six years ago, I had a stroke. So I'm a cancer survivor. I'm a stroke survivor. Um, our move to Birmingham was our 15th, my husband and I. We've lived in three countries and eight U.S. states, many of them with our kids in tow. And our journey to Birmingham was a result of my husband's job loss and a complete loss of all financial security. So my family has had many opportunities to develop lament practices. Um, and one of the things that I think God uses all of these experiences, come on in, there's room at the front. <laughs> come on in, yes, you get to sit in the front. 
We saved the seats just for you. Um, and there's another chair over here. Not to call anybody out necessarily, but if you have an extra seat, feel free to just sit. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Everybody's welcome. We're talking about a super fun topic. <laughs> it's good. So my family's journey has been twisting through some really dark seasons, through dark roads. We've gone through valleys of the shadow of death, literally. Um, and in lots of ways, recovering from a, a season of financial loss, we're still kind of walking through them. Um, so as I was preparing to go through this season with my children that started in 2017 of financial devastation, God decided to call me to seminary. And from my first semester in seminary, I was immediately drawn to lament for no particular reason. I was a, the captain of the cheerleading squad in high school, and I had always kind of had that peppy personality, and it was always, you know, voted the most cheerful and whatever if I had yearbook awards. So lament wasn't something that I felt was naturally part of my personality, but it was God working in my circumstances to prepare me what I was about to go through. Um, and that ended up sparking a journey of discovery through scripture of what it means to go through difficulties in an authentically Christian way. Um, and I didn't realize at the time that I now realize is that my family and my kids were going to need me to model for them what it looks like to lament in a faithful way. So what does all of my story lead us to next? Um, what I want to share with you this morning is a form that we can take in our lament practices related to the things that get us down and how we can use that to help our children become more faithfully formed lament witnesses. It gives them the ability that they need to go out and live a more faithful Christian witness. And the first part of that, as I just shared my story, is to know your own story. So we can't shape our children in something that we're not willing to practice and explore ourselves. Your ability to walk your kids of any age, so whether they're little bitty, tweens, or teens, through any difficult experience is directly tied to your ability to walk through one on your own. And as I mentioned earlier, we all have difficult things that we have to constantly overcome. And I find as a parent, it's a lot easier for me to think about the behavior of my kids and how they're reacting to things than it even is to react myself or to think about my own reactions or to think about how my history influences my behavior in the present, uh, much less how I want things to be in the future. I'd rather focus on my kids, but becoming a faithful shepherd of children through lament seasons required that we start looking at ourselves first. So we have an imperative to understand ourselves and understand how that posture, uh, the posture we take relates to the posture our children are going to take. So I encourage you all to start thinking about your suffering story. What is your story? What things have happened in your background? What things do you need to rediscover? What things do you need to explore? If you have a history of childhood trauma, for example, have you decided to go ahead and leave some of those things in the past? Um, do you find yourself numbing when difficult emotions or seasons come up? So my personal favorite numbing mechanisms are scrolling through my Facebook feed and retail therapy. So, you know, you know what they are for you when you find yourself having a difficult emotion and not wanting to hand it over to God or even deal with it, and you find another way to kind of shuffle it off into the background of your consciousness, that's the cue that God is giving you to start doing some work to walk through that. Because here's the thing that is hopefully not going to shock anybody. 
When you do all of those little numbing things to avoid your difficult feelings, your kids are watching you. So they see through all of that. You're not hiding anything. You're not hiding anything from God. You're not hiding anything from your kids. So I encourage you to start thinking along those lines. Do the work that you need to do. If it's difficult, as it so often is, you have abundant resources here at the Advent um, to help. So if you need help from a clergy member, if you need help from a counselor, we have those here. But the first step in becoming an effective shepherd of your children through a lament season is to know yourself. As you get to know your own story, you'll be able to better filter what I call the story, the story of the gospel. Um, I've given this talk in lots of different places and lots of different groups, first time at the Advent, um, and I used to flip it. So I used to talk about the importance of the biblical narrative first and then talk about the importance of knowing our personal story. Um, but as I started talking to people after these talks and uh, they gave me feedback, they all talked about how important it was to understand themselves first before they could come to the Bible in an authentic way. So I started flipping the um, order of this presentation talk um, a few talks ago, I guess, and I was surprised to hear that people are struggling to come to the Bible faithfully and in an interactive way when you, they can't understand their own story first. So that's the reason for starting with our own story. We bring our own story, we bring our own set of perceptions, um, our own experiences to scripture. And when we are able to understand our story, the stories of lament in the Bible begin to make more sense. So when we come with our own baggage, with a full understanding of the things that make us sad, the things that bother us, the tragedies that get under our skin, we start seeing the language of the Bible open up because the Bible always gives us this really faithful witness about what it means to be in a season of tragedy, what it means to be in a season of pain, what it means to be in a season of anger, what it means to process things that are difficult. And the thing about lament in the Bible is that it never leaves us hanging. So we start with the places where we're at, we start with the difficult seasons and difficult circumstances, and the Bible is always going to want to lead us somewhere. So examples. In the book of Exodus, we see that lament is what the Israelites do in Egypt as they suffer under the oppressive conditions of slavery. But lament leads to the liberation from that bondage as exemplified in Miriam's beautiful song of liberation in Exodus 15. And I encourage you to look that up later. In the book of 1 Samuel, the language of lament is what we see when Hannah begs through her struggles with infertility for a child. But her lament doesn't stay there. Her lament leads God to take action that leads to not just one child for Hannah, but many that glorify God. In the book of Esther, lament is Mordecai's sackcloth and ashes, his loud, bitter wailing in response to an authority figure's plan for absolute evil. But Mordecai's story isn't over. God uses Esther in that story to, again, liberate people from their difficult circumstances, from a really tragic possibility, and transforms it into one that shows the glory of God in that place. Throughout the entire book of Psalms, we read words of lament that cry out to God. We see really beautiful language in the Hebrew 
that just comes to God and exposes all the rawness and all the reality of what the psalmist was facing. So we see the psalmist begging God for removal of pain, for silencing of enemies, which, by the way, is not really technically what we would call Christian. So when you look at some of the language in the Psalms, we don't have to come to God and sanitize our feelings. He already knows what they are. So if we feel like we have an enemy, we don't have to immediately come to that with a posture of grace and a sense of pre-forgiveness. The Psalms give us permission to come and just be angry and to really kind of be jerks. So if you want your kids to feel free to be a jerk in a biblical way, help them understand the Psalms of Lament. It's all in there, I promise. Go see for yourself. So the Psalms show us how to cry out about people we don't agree with. The Psalms teach us how to cry out for alleviation of of misery that just feels like it's not ever going to end. And it takes us really into the depths of despair, the Psalms of Lament. But from there, the psalmist then takes us to the heights of praise. So we go from the valley of the shadow of death to the tops of the mountain where God is glorified for everyone to see. And sometimes that switch happens even in the same psalm. So the psalms teach us how to go from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs, the whole time proclaiming who God is and his faithfulness in our lives. We see lament, of course, in Job, where Job puts God on trial and demands answers to his questions about the meaning of his suffering. Job demands that God, in fact, prove that he is still God in the midst of catastrophic tragedy. When our kids suffer, sometimes the inclination for parents is to go ahead and shut it down. We just want to protect them from the bad feelings or we want them to calm down. That's what I say to my kids, even still. And by the way, I stand up here and talk about this like I have it all figured out. Nothing could be farther from the truth. So this is still, this is me, a work in progress every day with my kids. My immediate inclination, I don't want to deal with the big feels, the explosions. We have two kids who are exploders, and it's just all over the place with the big feels. And most of the time, what I try to do is contain them. But the book of Job reminds me that the kids have the freedom to explode with their feelings. They have the freedom to demand that God prove that God is who God says he is. And as their parent, I don't really, I am not God, as much as I would like to be to come in and contain all their feelings. Really what they need from me is the freedom to explode, the freedom to go to God as Job does. Lament is also the prophet Habakkuk, crying out to God in anguish over the wickedness of the culture surrounding him. Habakkuk is very honest about what he's experiencing in his day and age. He goes to God and bemoans his reality. He goes and complains about surrounding culture. He wants it to change. He wants all of culture to glorify God, as as do many of us. His cries and questions, though, God doesn't leave him in that lament season. God responds to his cries, to his questions. He responds in a way that leads to Habakkuk looking around, seeing what God is already doing, how God is active in the middle of something that looks so dark. Um, And he reminds Habakkuk to be astounded at God's ability to shine light brightly in dark places. And it's because his surroundings were in fact so very dark that God was able to be seen and glorified so extensively. Moving to the New Testament, we see that lament is Paul being unhappy with the state of his body and the physical ailment that makes his life difficult. How freeing is that message for some of our teenagers who deal with body image issues? It's not just you 
teen daughter. It goes all the way back to the New Testament where you see Paul who wrote such a big chunk of all the words that we love that would go on to spark reformation and result in this very church being founded. That same Paul dealt with his body in a way and was very honest with the fact that he didn't like what he was going through. Those words can be life-giving if we give them to our children. And they're all in scripture. And of course, lament is also Christ on the cross, begging God for an answer and feeling forsaken as he goes to death due to the weight of the sins of the entire world. But the lament on the cross doesn't stay there, of course, because the resurrection changed everything. So the resurrection meant that cries of lament become anthems of hope. The resurrection means tears of sorrow become tears of joy. The resurrection means for us and for our children, we don't have to pray for burdens of life to be lifted because we serve a God who gives us stronger backs with which to carry them. And the resurrection means that all of our darkest hours become beacons of light and hope that point to the source of our light and hope. The resurrection and the reality of the resurrection transforms all of our lives and has a potential to transform all of our kids' lives as well. But that doesn't happen by osmosis. So if we give them Bibles to sleep on, it's not just going to all seep in. So we have to actually develop practices as faithful families that allow some of these principles to be taught to our children. Uh, We have to teach them to take difficulties to God so that they're able to live out the missional lives that we see Christ calling all of us to. So the way to help them become better disciples who can go out and make disciples is to start with helping them understand tragedy. So how do we help them understand that life is going to be difficult? It's not always going to be awesome. If you've seen the Lego movie, Everything is Awesome, I hear that in my head whenever I say that now. So everything is not going to be awesome for our children, and everything is probably not awesome now if we pulled them all in and asked them honestly. Uh, So we need to give them the language. We need to give them a form that allows them to become faithfully formed Christian adults. And that's what we're looking for. So we're not talking about how can I, Krista, form a faithful first grader. I'm thinking about how can I work with Jocelyn now so that when she's my age, she is out there setting the world on fire for Christ. And the only way that I can do that is by helping deal with the reality of where she's at with an idea of what the end goal is in mind. So I don't tend to teach anything without some kind of set of practical tips. So this is moving now from Krista's theology of lament and suffering into Krista gives practical advice based on what she's seen. So of course this is all, I hope, helpful, but it's also grain of salt. I hope that you listen to these ideas and then take them home and do things with them that work really well for you. Um, I've got a sheet here. I'm going to run through a bunch of resources really quickly. If you would like to get all of this by email, you're welcome to put your name and email. I'm not going to use this list for anything else other than just for this class. So uh, the references column here, if you would like a, a list of scripture references, I'll include everything that I've mentioned this morning and then all of the resources. So just check which box you want, if you want. And if it stays blank, that's fine. We'll just pass it around. Um, so the first thing I think it means for us parents to begin building 
faithfully formed families. Um, and the area of lament is that we need to model what faithful lament looks like for our kids. Um, this would have been completely foreign to me five years ago. So I really, I was a container, as I mentioned before, and I was very, I liked to be stoic. So I would have a lot of things going on inside, but I thought it was better just to like wear this mask of fine. You know, so I would walk into church. How are you today? I'm fine. When in reality, I was suffering the effects of a stroke. I had an infant at home. I had a really, you know, rambunctious boy toddler who had just crawled out underneath our fence the day before. And that was literally a Sunday that I have in mind where I went to church, but I was fine because it's a lot easier and we're kind of taught to be fine in the world. Nobody wants to hear our big feelings. You don't want to be the person, heaven forbid, who overshares on Facebook. So we hold up that mask of fine to the world and we walk around and we're affirmed for it all the time. So we're told, oh, you have it all together. Or my favorite question, how do you do it all? You know, and when I get asked that question, I don't anymore because I'm a little bit more honest. <laughs> but when I used to, I would just smile and be like, I don't know, you know, and I had this really kind of like falsetto <laughs> voice. And it was just something that I put on. And like, you can look back, like I have a picture um, of myself with this deer in the headlights look when somebody had just asked me that question at a conference. Um, and I was just standing there like this and I was like, oh, that was a huge problem. But it's easier to do that because that's what our culture tells us is acceptable, even some of our church culture. Um, and that's in the Bible too, actually. So when you see all this demonstrative and emotional response to suffering and tragedy in the New Testament, that was distinctly Christian because the Roman society was all about stoicism at the time. So that's where it came from. There's so many parallels between 2018 America and the Roman world of the New Testament, and this is one of them. So that mask of fine is nothing new. It's been around for a long time. Uh, but one of the reasons why the Christian community grew and flourished is because Christians were so honest about their emotional realities. So in a way that gave all of the suffering over to Christ, and that would translate into some of the lives and deaths of the martyrs in the early church. And there's all sorts of examples through Christian history where emotionally demonstrative Christians who gave their suffering experiences to God in a public way led more people to Christ. So authentically living through times of lament helps our kids grow into suffering in a way that makes them better witnesses. And as a family unit, if you have a family of four or five people doing this together, that can become transformational for your neighborhood, for the culture around you. So first thing is, suffer well yourself. So open up. As I said in the beginning, um, make sure you know your own story. Understand if you don't feel you can suffer publicly, why? Like what is holding you back? Um, what things do you need to unlock in your own life so that you're better able to express emotionally in front of your children the tragedies that are affecting you? Um, and the other thing to remember is that for kids of all ages, growing into suffering abilities takes time. Um, so small things can be big things for little people. And it might be a situation where you're not particularly upset about the death of a goldfish. But if you have a six-year-old, that goldfish may have been representational of everything that was right in the world. 
So as you start to get to know yourself and you get to know your kids and how they're suffering, just keep in mind that starting with a lament, a lifetime of faithful lament practice starts with even the tiniest little things. Um, we had a slip of paper go missing the other day that my daughter wanted to use for a craft project. And it was the end of the world for her. And, you know, we had the flailing on the floor and it reminded me of the wailing and gnashing of teeth, biblically, honestly, um, over this slip of paper. And in my mind, like my first response was like, oh my goodness, this is just a slip of paper. Like, can we please go on with the day? But because God had called me to be speaking about this and I had just written that line, I sat down with her and we talked about what she was feeling. And for her... What she was feeling as she lost this little slip of paper that seemed insignificant to me is that she didn't feel like she was ever going to be able to become an artist. So she had taken it all the way to the six-year-old extreme, and that kind of clicked for me. Like, everything that we're going through from a suffering perspective is representational of something else. So how can we become better listeners of our kids and help them develop these practices of lament with small things because as they do it with small things eventually they'll be able to know better how to do it with big things Uh, so part of the journey for our family is that my husband and i had to reorient ourselves to create a haven in our home where all emotions are welcome again this was very difficult for me because i was a stuffer in a container Um, but we started looking at how does god want our family to suffer well and what we realized is that we needed a place in this world where we could come in and let all of our emotions out. Uh, Because we do have to, you know, go to work and be in school and not have all of the feels all the time, to some extent we do have to do things that are socially appropriate and contain ourselves. But when we get home, we need a place to be able to express those things together and to God. And if you're a family of introverts, maybe that's a little bit easier, but my family is all extroverts. So we need a place where we can come and process things externally and talk all of it out. And we want our home to be that place. Because if we're not giving, we realize if we're not giving our kids that haven at home, they're going to take their emotions other places. And that's where you start seeing the development of um, disordered thinking. So we don't want our kids going to their friends. We don't want kids going to cultural influences to process their disappointment. We want them coming home, having an honest place, Um, in which to express the things that they're feeling so that we can help them deal with it in a biblical way. And deal with it is also not appropriate. (laughs) Help them understand it in a biblical way. Um, And again, that just goes back to being completely transparent, my own issues with dealing with lament, even after walking this road for a while. So I still think in terms of dealing with it. But what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to help process all of these emotions in a healthy and biblical way. Uh, part of that for our family is also letting, learning to let crying be okay. So, um, you know, again, my family background, you guys are getting all the baggage. Don't cry was what I heard from my parents. So, you know, be tough, don't cry, whatever is happening, just kind of contain it. Um, how do we give our kids more freedom? How do we look to the biblical witness and say, people are crying all the time in the Bible. People are wailing and sobbing and weeping and flat on faces. So how can we take the biblical witness and give that to our kids and say, you know what? Yes, this is a very difficult thing. Your slip of paper is gone. This is very disappointing. Your goldfish has died. We are devastated. The hamster has gone. Um, We had a friend who has said that they are no longer our best friend. We had our first breakup. Our hearts are completely shattered and broken. As adults, 
we give our children a tremendous gift when we let them experience the emotions they're experiencing and we sit there and practice the ministry of presence with our children as they're going through a time of suffering no matter what level they're at no matter what our perception of the suffering is it means something to them uh, we also need to I think to be faithful family formers of lament practices we need to cultivate courage so during hard times and before the hard times even start how do we help developing courage as a virtue in our households um, one of my favorite ways to do this is a following Ephesians 5:19, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. So developing some kind of a family song-based worship practice has been really beneficial for me and for other families I've shared this with. Uh, basically, what you want to try to do is create a song-based atmosphere, some part of your week. It doesn't have to be anything super formal. We started this um, two and a half years ago, I guess now, <clears throat> and I started with a 10-second prayer, a reading of a psalm, and then a song. And we did the same thing every day for a week, and then we would switch the next week. So I would just rotate. Um, now, my kids love it so much that basically we sing songs until we get to school. So it's about a 20-minute thing. It kind of grew over time. But start by just planting the seed. If you can do one psalm, if you can do one prayer, if you can do one song that you pick for an entire year, whatever works best, just get started. The songs, if they're biblically based, will help ingrain the words of scripture in your kids' heads. And when you tell them, this song is for use when you are going through a difficult time with a friend at school, and repeat that every time you hear the song, the song is gonna stick in their head, and when they go through a difficult time at school, they may or may not just start humming that in their head. They're going to start hearing it. So it's the repetition and the choice of song that matters. Um, it gives your kids the vocabulary that they need within themselves to be able to start drawing on those resources when you're not there with them. Um, some resources that I like for this kind of thing are Seeds Family Worship. So if you haven't heard Seeds before, it's all biblically based. The songs are pretty catchy, so they don't sound... Um, cheesy uh, this is being recorded so I don't know maybe I shouldn't mention that necessarily but I love all scripture based music but I really love seeds um, it's awesome um, yeah so seeds family worship hymns the old hymns that have real deep theology are wonderful resources to repeat with your kids um, Advent has a new Spotify playlist so if you're listed there on the resource page wherever it's floating out I'll send you the link uh, it was put together by our canon for liturgy and worship, Zach Hicks, and his assistant, Annie. So it has a lot of, whether you like choir music or the music style of the refectory service and the five, um, a great set of playlists for you to use with your kids to give them this kind of song-based vocabulary. And of course, we want to get our kids into the actual word of God, not just songs. We want them in the word, learning how to read the word learning how to compare their story to the story, just like we do ourselves. We want them interacting with it. And this isn't a call for any kind of a prescribed quiet time. Um, any kind of legalistic thing that you do with your kids is not going to inspire the love of the word that I'm talking about. Um, and I've been there. Like, I have totally been, if you're in the legalistic camp, I, you know, I was there. And, um, you know, my kids probably still have a little bit of, sensitivity in that area because I was so diligent and militant really about you know enforcing this very strict quiet time we've moved away from that because what I realized 
thanks be to God, is that I want my kids to fall in love with scripture. And you can't inspire love through the law. So how can you develop a grace-based biblical study practice in your family that inspires that love? And for a lot of us, this is hard. Uh, My husband isn't here this morning because my kids are actually sick. But if he was, he'd be nodding in agreement um, that it was difficult for him to get into the mindset of loving the word because he grew up in a very legalistic environment that was very dry. So it was always his parents reading a, a passage of scripture in the King James Version and then closing the Bible and then that was it. So if you've been there too, all the love and all the understanding for that. If you're not in love with the word yourself, you're never going to be able to get your kids to fall in love with it. So if you haven't been able to take that step or find an entry point into love of the word, find it. Find a verse. What I always recommend to people who come to me and say, Krista, I am not in love with the word. I want to be, but I am just not. I always encourage them to go find your entry verse. Find your entry point. Do a Google search for a word that you feel like you need to hang on to. If it's love, hope, patience. If there's something that you've been searching for that you're struggling with, find that word. Go to who I call Pastor Google. Type it in and say Bible verse about your word. Read the search results. You'll get a ton of them. And find whatever catches your eye. Pray for the Holy Spirit's guidance. Let that be your verse. And if that verse, you find one that you love, and I hope and pray that you do, let that be your entry point. Fall in love with that verse. Fall in love with the verse and then show your kids that you love this verse. Talk about it for an entire year if you need to. Do word studies on every single word in the verse. Figure out what's going to click for you. And I haven't recommended this yet in any group and had anybody tell me that this didn't work. So if you try it and it doesn't work, email me because I want to hear from you and we can talk about that. But for most people, it does. So find a way to fall in love with the word. Talk about the word that you've fallen in love with with your kids. Start developing that sense of this is a guide. This is something that we want for our life. This is spiritual nourishment that prepares us to go through difficult seasons. And an easy way to do that if you are um, if you're looking for some kind of a curriculum set, I really like the New City Catechism. So the New City Catechism has 52 different questions and answers about what it means to live an authentic Christian faith. It's an excellent resource that gives you some scripture starting points. So if you want something that's easy to do over 52 weeks or if you want to take one every year, the next 52 years, that would be fun. Um, it gives you and your family something to do in a tangible way to hang on to that's more curriculum based, which I am not against because I love curricula. Um, I love it. So you can go either finding your own organic search path directly to the word or find a biblically based gospel centered curriculum that can get you in there. But either way, try to find something that gets your family into the word. And pay attention to your surroundings in your home. What's on your walls? What's on your living room? In your living room, on pillows, in your kitchens? Um, I kind of look at the space that surrounds my family as a a set of missional opportunities. So how can you make your walls scripture-oriented in some way? Now, this is easier than ever right now. So again, going back to Pastor Google, go to Pastor Google and type in your verse that you've just found and then type in home decor and you're almost immediately going to again find multiple search options and purchase options for home decor that matches your verse. So take your family on some kind of a journey to a verse and then create that. And if buying home decor is not your thing, that's totally fine. Put it on a sticky note 
on bathroom mirrors, on your refrigerator, in your car, in your kids' lunchboxes. So you can find a way to surround them with a word that doesn't require necessarily being in some kind of a legalistic study rhythm. So think holistically, think about the atmosphere you're creating around your family. Um, finally, you wanna start making sure that you are nurturing their resilience. So when difficulties come up, practice lament. So when they come home with a difficult story about something that happened at school, sit down and go through a psalm of lament. Talk about Job. Honestly tell biblical hero stories. So we talk about Moses and how wonderful it is that he liberated the people. But Moses was insecure about a speech impediment. He was so insecure, he told God no. When God said, hey, I want you to go liberate the people, he's like, nah, I can't do it. You know, I can't, I'm not good at public speaking, so you're going to have to find somebody else. Insecurity 101. You have a child who's insecure about something. Hey, guess who was also insecure? Moses didn't feel like he could go out and give a speech. So it's totally normal that you can't either, and it's okay to be frustrated and a little bit sad and nervous. Um, tell the story of, with older children, the end of Noah's life. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go look it up. We have all these biblical heroes that we hold up as these paragons of virtue. And what we miss is that they have all these struggles that they go through in their life that are very human and very relatable for our kids and for ourselves. So tell the biblical stories. Tell them honestly. Include the rough parts. And finally, make sure that your kids are getting into community. So we don't want to go through this practice of developing faithfully formed adults on our own. Make coming to church a priority. Get into a small group. Connect with your neighbors. I think of all of our 15 moves, I can name maybe three where I actually took the time to know my neighbors on right and left. Help your kids understand that nobody has to go through a, an experience of suffering on their own. We're meant to be in community and to be gathering as a gathered body of Christian witnesses together. Make that a priority. When they have other faithful adults in their life, multiple scientific studies have shown it's a lot easier for kids to get through almost any other tragedy. Anything that goes wrong, anything that gets under their skin, is going to be a lot easier for them to go through and come out okay on the other end when they have other adults in their life. So encourage those kinds of friendships among your adult friends to pour into your kids as well as yourself. And be relentless. So I had a, um, when I was an undergrad, I had a speaking professor say that when you're giving some kind of a talk, you should tell the audience what you're going to tell them, then tell them, and then tell them what you just told them. And I don't think anybody like really does that in public speaking anymore. They shouldn't because it's kind of boring. But when you're walking your kids through a lament season or preparing them for a lament season, that is exactly what we should do. We should be telling them that tragedies will come in life. We should be telling them that their experiences of tragedy in the present are valid and authentic and real. Then as they're going through something, we make sure we tell them that the Bible is there for them, that God is there for them, that we are there for them, we love them. And then after they've come through the thing that they've come through on the other side, look at how God was faithful to us in this situation. Look at what God did in your life. Look at the courage that he developed. Look at how resilient you are. So point back to what they've come through. And this goes for kids of any age or for even your adult friends. It is so meaningful to me, as my family and I have struggled so much in the last year, to hear people come up to me and say, you know what, I can see that God has performed 
so many wonderful things in your life, and even in the middle of something hard. We don't get that much affirmation anymore culturally. So tell your kids what they've gone through, acknowledge it, come up with some kind of an annual practice if you need to, to look back and see all the ways that God has worked wonders in your life. Unfortunately, we don't have any time for questions. I was going to open it up here. Um, you all have been great. If you want to stick around afterward, I'm just going to sit up here on the stage and we can talk about whatever you want to. Uh, but I'd like to go ahead and end us in prayer. God, thank you for being our refuge in times of sorrow, in times of difficulty, in the times of tragedy that get under our skin and under our kids' skin. We're all here because we want to learn to um, form our children into faithful adults that show the world how much glory you're working right now. We want the world to look around and be amazed at what you're doing, God. And we just ask you to um, equip us for every good work, to keep our heads, minds, and our hearts in the work that we're doing with our children. Allow us to be the adults that they need um, and allow us to be the community that they need to go out and set this world on fire for you. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.